What's going on, everybody? This is uh, Bob Morris uh, uh, with the host of the Bob Tidbits podcast. And you can find my uh, Substack at bobtidbits.substack.com where I uh, talk about things such as the NFL salary cap, NFL contracts, the NFL season. And once in a while, we'll get into things such as uh, other football-related topics, uh, comic book geekery, and other things as they come about. I've been uh, trying to do uh, a podcast here for a while. I used to do that on uh, Facebook Live and decided to try some uh, different things. So we're going to see how this goes. Uh, Hoping to try to get on... Hopefully once a week, just depends on uh, work schedule and things like that. It's uh, Saturday morning, uh, April 2nd, as I'm recording this podcast, and just finished up a volunteer stint at the uh, Humane Society. So, uh, kind of recovering a little bit from that. Uh, I got uh, issues with allergies, so we'll just kind of see how things go as we're uh, talking today. Uh, Wanted to go over some of the uh, misconceptions about uh, salary cap management uh, you've seen a lot of teams that have made some big moves in free agency, and then there's people who are wondering how they can do this when isn't there supposed to be a salary cap in place, and isn't that supposed to be limiting what teams can do? So the important thing to remember is that when it comes to the salary cap, it's basically about how you manage the cap and how that gives you uh, flexibility in terms of managing the roster and what what you're doing when you're signing a player to a contract And again, how that gives you flexibility when it comes to managing the roster and some of the decisions teams may need to make. There's uh, one misconception that goes around that uh, owners with deep pockets are somehow the ones that are able to go in there and manipulate the cap and go out and pay players whatever they want. Uh, That's not exactly the case. It is true that fully guaranteed money needs to be put into an escrow account, and that applies to all the fully guaranteed money, but you look at owners who you would think have deep pockets and are they giving out fully guaranteed contracts to all their players? No, they're not. Uh, Jerry Jones, for example, he's probably the first one you think about with, uh, of an owner with deep pockets and he didn't give a fully guaranteed contract to Dak Prescott. Uh, Prescott's contract, it was structured so that he would essentially get three years of the deal paid out, but the Cowboys still have a way to get out of the contract in the fourth year if they choose to do so. Uh, Stan Kroenke's another one, and uh, but with Matthew Stafford and the Rams, Stafford didn't get a fully guaranteed contract for the entire length. He signed, uh, it was a four-year extension, which basically keeps him around for the next three seasons, so this year plus two more years, and then there's two years after that in which the Rams, if they need to, they can get out of the deal if they wish. So that comes to what's really the key when it comes to contract flexibility is the signing bonus. And so, of course, the signing bonus, it's always fully guaranteed, but a larger signing bonus means not just more money you have to put in escrow. It means that if you decide you need to move on from the player at a later time, you're taking more of a dead money charge for doing so. And when it comes to cutting the player, of course, if they still have fully guaranteed salary, you have to take that into account. But what if you want to trade the player? Well, if you don't restructure any of his money earlier in the contract, then you have the opportunity to 
possibly trade the player if you need, if you want because any fully guaranteed base salary goes to the team that acquires him. So I'll give you an example. Let's say you sign a player to a five-year contract for $100 million. So he's paid and paid average of $20 million per year on salary. And you give him, we're just going to say, you give him a $20 million signing bonus. Okay, that means that in the first, in each of those years of the contract, $4 million is prorated, which means if you give him a $20 million signing bonus, then in year two, if you move on from the player, you are going to have at least $16 million in dead money from that signing bonus, whether you cut him or trade him. And that's, if, of course, if you have fully guaranteed base salary in that contract, you're going to take on additional dead, dead money charges if you do cut the player, but not if you trade him. So now what if instead you did a $10 million signing bonus on that same five-year contract? Instead, you're now looking at $2 million prorated each year, which means if in the second year you decide to move on from the player, if you're trading him, you're only taking an $8 million dead money charge, and any fully guaranteed salary goes to the team that acquires him. So, essentially, you want to try to keep the signing bonus as small as possible, because that gives you flexibility if you need to move trade the player in the second season, or if you need to cut the player in the third season, or the fourth season, depending on how much money he gets fully guaranteed in the rest of the contract. When you start making the signing bonuses too big, that's when it becomes more difficult to move the player. That's the key point when it comes to restructuring a contract because not only are you putting more money into escrow because signing bonuses are fully guaranteed, you're also making it more difficult to move that player in the future. So if you went with, say, the four, the $20 million signing bonus on that contract, and then let's just say, and again, I'm using a different example here, but you go to a $20 million base salary in year two, and you want to restructure that into a signing bonus, about, say, $16 million, while you're adding another $4 million each year. So then you go to year three, $20 million signing bonus, originally put $4 million that year, that's $12 million in dead money that comes if you move the player. And because you did the restructure the year before, $16 million, that's another $12 million, so now you got $24 million instead. So that's the danger that comes with restructuring the contracts. It makes it more difficult to move the player in the future, if that's what you want to do. The same thing goes with paying the larger signing bonus. And you don't have to have an owner with deep pockets to understand about what the danger comes with making the signing bonuses too large. There's another theory that I wanted to talk about that... uh it's about quarterbacks who have had uh, signed big contracts that their teams no longer win the Super Bowl. And usually this gets brought up because of the New England Patriots in which the story is Tom Brady kept taking cheaper contracts to stay with the Patriots. That's why they were able to win all these Super Bowls. Well, that leaves out some important information. First of all, Brady... Much earlier in his career, this was back in about uh, 2012, I believe it was, he had signed a contract that made him the highest paid quarterback in the NFL at the time. What he did in future seasons was that he would sign a, a short-term extension that paid him basically a large signing bonus in exchange for having small base salaries in the next couple of seasons. 
There's also a point when Rob Gronkowski was the highest paid tight end in the NFL. The Patriots also made Stephon Gilmore one of the highest paid cornerbacks in the NFL at the time they signed him as a free agent. The thing you have to remember about the Patriots is that they don't pay big money to every player most of the time. So they're not really taking advantage of Brady's lower contract by going out and paying lots and lots of money to other players. What they're doing instead is they will trade for veterans who, if things don't work out, they can cut the player the following year and not have any dead money because, of course, an acquiring team doesn't take on any prorated signing bonus when they trade for a player, or they trade it for players who are in the final year of a rookie contract and tried them out for a year to see if they might work out. And usually the Patriots have tended to look for value. They tended to sign some of their players at below-market deals. Uh, last year during free agency, they kind of went above the market uh, value for a couple of players there. Uh, John and Smith's probably the most notable. But it really didn't have much to do, as much to do with the salary cap and Tom Brady taking a low-cost contract as much as people think when it comes to winning the Super Bowl. The main reason why they were able to win so many Super Bowls is because Brady was one of the best quarterbacks, is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. And Bill Belichick is one of the best head coaches in the NFL. And they had been together, at when they were together, I should say, their tenure was the longest together of basically any quarterback-coach pairing, so they pretty much knew one another and what each expected from the other. So that continuity is really what allowed them to keep winning Super Bowls. What's going on now and what you're seeing is that you have now teams that are being forced to make decisions each year, and you have the teams that well, one year they will win a Super Bowl, then they will keep certain players around. The next year they they may get to the Super Bowl, they may not. Then those teams, if they get to the Super Bowl and don't win it, they might try again. But then if they don't get to the Super Bowl the following year, they reassess. That's what the Chiefs are doing right now. When you look at what happened when they won their first Super Bowl with uh, Patrick Mahomes, they did make him the highest-paid quarterback in the NFL. Then the following year, they got back to the Super Bowl and didn't win it. But it didn't really have anything to do with Mahomes being the highest-paid quarterback in the NFL. It had more to do with injuries on the offensive line, and that eventually caught up with the Chiefs. So the Chiefs then decided, let's go ahead and commit resources to improving the offensive line. So they signed Joe Thune and made him one of the highest paid guards in the NFL. And then they uh, traded for Orlando Brown. So this past year, of course, they reached the AAC championship game, but they didn't make it to the Super Bowl. So they knew they were going to keep Orlando Brown because of the draft capital that he gave up, so they put the franchise tag on him. They cut Anthony Hitchens, which came about less to do with the salary cap and more to do with the fact that he was a starter who lost his uh, starting job to Nick Bolton and then was going to be a rotational player at best, and you don't pay a ro rotational player starter money. That's why they cut Anthony Hitchens. They also renegotiated the contract to Frank Clark, who was coming off a pretty bad season, and it was going to be basically you need to take less money or we're just going to cut you. 
So those were moves that they made with the intent of being able to commit some money to Tyreek Hill. What happened with Hill was that Hill sought to be the highest paid receiver in the NFL. And it's not necessarily in terms of that average per year salary that he's getting because a lot of that is uh, money that was backloaded to the fifth season. So it looks a lot like he's going to get a lot more money than he actually will get. But he's still getting compensated pretty well because he got more than $70 million guaranteed over the first three years of the contract. And for the Chiefs, that was likely just too much for them. They just decided, we just can't afford to pay him that much money when we need to commit some money in the coming seasons to Joe Thune, and we're going to have to commit money to Orlando Brown. Now, let's say Hill had been willing to take, say, $60 million to $63 million of guaranteed money in the first three years. Could that get a contract done with the Chiefs? It's certainly possible, because... Hill would get more money than he was getting on his previous contract, and it gives the Chiefs a little more flexibility in terms of how they might be able to handle uh, an eventual contract for Brown. He's right now under the franchise tag, and it might have allowed them to manage uh, the cap hits that uh, Joe Thune will take up in next year, and they could still have some flexibility next year, like they would be able to cut Clark next year, without issues, they'll have to make a decision about Chris Jones next year, but the point being that with Hill, it's simply a case of them asking if we want to keep him, how much can we afford to pay him that doesn't require us to get into a situation where we can't manage the salary cap well and we can't manage our uh, payroll well. So, uh, switching over to another team, uh, there's the Rams with Matthew Stafford. His contract didn't reset the market. It's certainly paying him pretty well, but they didn't uh, go past uh, Patrick Mahomes like, say, the Texans did with Deshaun Watson, which is a topic all its own, or what the Packers did uh, with Aaron Rodgers, although there is some of that money is backloaded. But they kept Stafford at a a salary that's probably more in line with where his ability level is because while Mahomes, most people would say, yes, he's clearly an elite quarterback, you don't have that with Stafford. So in the Rams situation, they can now ask the question about, say, Cooper Cup. He will enter the final year of his contract next year, and the Rams can then ask themselves, we're paying Stafford this much money. What does that mean for Cooper Cup? Can we? Where can we set our limits in terms of how much we will pay him? And if we get that worked out, we might be able to keep him alongside staff, alongside Stafford. If he's not asking for say you know, seventy-five million over three years, I don't know if that's what Cup will ask for. But if it does come to that, the Rams can then are in a position in which they might be able to say, well, okay, we could probably do that because Stafford really needs to have a top receiver. Or if they can get Cup to say, you know, if he goes $66 million over the first three years of a contract, that's more than $60 million, but it's uh, an amount that they might be able to work with to keep, to keep Cup around and still be able to keep enough players on the roster to have a, a playoff contender and a team that has a chance to make the Super Bowl. 
So when you get into problems is when you're a team that just, as Jason Fitzgerald has talked about on his Over the Cap podcast, you're a team that doesn't know how to say no. The Saints and the Falcons are two examples of that. The Falcons, they extended Matt Ryan and Julio Jones, for example, when, yes, it was pretty clear they needed to extend both players because they were playing well and worth keeping, but Ryan, he they entered a situation where Andrew Luck got paid a contract that made him about $25 million average salary per year, and then Derek Carr, who wasn't not as good of a quarterback as Luck, was getting $27 million per year on a contract, and the Falcons got caught up in the, we just have to pay a, the next quarterback more money, even though Ryan's arguably was not as good as uh, Luck uh, before the injuries happened to Luck. He was probably comparable to Derek Carr, but then the whole the idea became he's got to get more money than Derek Carr. And then you come to Julio Jones, who was indeed worth the second contract, but then when other receivers are getting more money, he's asking for more money. The Falcons then extended him, and we saw what's happened with the Julio Jones. He has played declined. They traded him last year, which I could see was coming because they were having all kinds of problems with the salary cap. And he spent last season with the Titans, and they've already cut him. Uh, Matt Ryan, he was still playing. He was still playing pretty well, but not at the level that he was playing in the past. So what happened? Well, it looked like that they were going to go ahead and keep Ryan at least for one more year, and then they tried to pursue Deshaun Watson. Didn't get him, and then they traded Ryan anyway. But they're still trying to dig out of that uh, that salary cap issues that they've been having over the past year and just have not been able to build the roster the way that most other teams have been able to. The Saints, they were trying year after year to get themselves back to the Super Bowl after they won one and then didn't return. And so then they went through a period where they were just trying to get that one more free one more free agent or keeping just one other player on the roster who they just couldn't bear to part ways with and then went through a couple years where they went 7 and 9 in 3 of 4 seasons before they had a good uh, draft class in 2017 and that was what got them back to being a playoff contender so in recent years they were trying to do whatever they could to keep everybody together as long as Drew Brees was playing. And it's understandable when you have a quarterback like that and you're trying to just see, you know, if you can get that last Super Bowl. And that's particularly true with the Saints because we remember that uh, the game in which the uh, pass interference wasn't called and that might very well meant the Saints would have gone to the Super Bowl that year. But once Brees retired, that's when the Saints needed to step back and say, we need to look at this as we're doing a soft rebuild, which means you need to start figuring out which players can be part of the core as you're looking for your next quarterback and which players you need to move on. And the Saints didn't do that. They instead restructured a lot of contracts and didn't ask themselves which players they actually needed to, to allow to leave and then go from there as far as the players who needed to be extended. So, and yes, the COVID-19 pandemic that year did have something to do with it, but it's not the sole reason why the Saints are in the situation. 
it's not the sole reason the Falcons are in their situation. The main reason is they didn't know when to say no. They didn't know when it was time to step back and reassess. And they were trying too hard to keep everyone together. And eventually it caught up with them. So in future podcasts, I'm going to sit down and talk about some more specific examples about each of the teams that are in the NFL. We'll probably go over them by division in the coming weeks, and we'll just kind of look at uh, what their long-term situations are like. That's something that a lot of people don't necessarily look at. They tend to look at what's going to happen this season, and then they forget about what's going to happen next season. And the smart teams, they understand that, that they have to look at this season and next season. They need to evaluate their rosters and figure out what's going to work best for them long-term. Well, that's all I have uh, for today's podcast. I will be telling you that uh, the next Substack uh, newsletter that's coming out, I'll be talking about some uh, theories that I have and that uh, my own plus what I've read from others about what's the best way to build a roster and what's the best way to look at uh, what you pay players in terms of where they at as far as skill level goes. So that'll be coming out tomorrow. I will now invite you all that if you enjoy these podcasts and if you enjoy my newsletters, I invite you to subscribe to my Substack. You go to Bob's Tidbits at substack.substack.com and you can uh, click on the subscribe, just enter your email there and you'll get these uh, newsletters and podcasts on a regular basis. Right now, they're free. I may be uh, charging for some content later on, but right now I'm hoping to kind of build up a subscriber base here. So You can also find me on Twitter at Bob Morris Sports, where I will share these Substacks and some other thoughts mostly about the Broncos, but I'll sometimes talk about some other teams as well. So that's all I have for today, and uh, we'll kind of see how this goes. Uh, I'm not sure how often we'll have the podcast on, but hoping to do it once a week again just depends on the schedule. So thank you for listening, and I will see you later.